Hi there, Paula Eben here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope by the grace of God for the glory of God. You're listening to Cloud of Witnesses. Excerpts today will be read from Hudson Taylor's autobiography, To China with Love. When I get the chance, I'd also like to read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret by Dr. and Mrs. Howard Taylor. Now, I can't help but think about the Great Commission when it comes to Hudson Taylor. Before I tell you what the Great Commission is, I want to give you the definition of commission. It's a command given to a person or group of people. So it would be very reasonable to call the Great Commission the Great Command. It can be found in Matthew 28, 16-20. Jesus gave this command right before He ascended to heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our witness today obeyed this command. He left his home for the exact purpose of making disciples for Christ. He witnessed to the fact that Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived among us. He never sinned. He died on the cross to save us from our sins and rose again and is now seated at the right hand of God. My hope is that you will be inspired to obey the Great Commission as you learn about our witness today. Now to episode 13, This Little Light of Mine. I absolutely love to learn about inspiring people. What I find even more fascinating is to learn about inspiring people who inspire inspiring people. Today's episode is exactly that. The last time I prepared an episode like this, I talked about George Mueller. His ability to trust God for every financial and material need was absolutely mind-boggling. God showed himself mighty over and over again in Mueller's life. Well, in the process of learning about him, I learned about a man named Hudson Taylor who garnered his attention to such a degree that Mueller supported his mission financially. Why? I believe that it was because they both had a similar model of trusting God for absolutely everything and for following God no matter what. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. Not only that, he was a British missionary to China in between and during the First and Second Opium Wars. Why is that significant? Because the opposing sides in that war were Britain and China, with France thrown in during the Second War. Many Chinese people had become addicted to opium because the British were selling it to regain financial stability after the wars with and against the American colonies. This opium addiction devastated the Chinese culture. I find Hudson's love for the Chinese so very compelling because he had every reason not to want to step into a place in which he could have been viewed as an enemy. China was also dealing with the Taiping Rebellion, which began in 1851. The Taiping Rebellion was started by a man named Hong Xuan, who had failed his civil service exam. He was said to have had a series of visions, which led him to believe that he was the younger brother of Jesus. He believed that his mission was to reform China. Hong's friend, Fen Yunshen, ran with his idea and created a religious group called the God Worshippers Society. Impoverished peasants made up the group. Hong joined Fen and the God Worshippers Society in 1847 and three years later led them in a rebellion. 
At the very beginning of 1851, Hong called his new dynasty the Heavenly Kingdom of Great Peace, declaring his own title Heavenly King. It's said that Hong's poor followers, who initially numbered in the thousands, eventually became a disciplined and fanatically zealous group of more than one million soldiers. Hong led these religiously blinded soldiers into a war with their own Chinese people for nearly 14 years, from 1850 to 1864. This war ravaged 17 provinces and killed almost 20 million people. Hudson Taylor was 19 when this war began. He was 22 when he arrived in China. So what could have possibly compelled him to step into the middle of these huge conflicts? The better question is who? It was Jesus. Jesus had left his home in heaven to give his life as a sacrifice because of our sins. Hudson knew that the Chinese desperately needed that message. So, just like his Savior, Hudson left his home and put his life on the line. He knew that God loved them just like he does today. Let's be inspired by his story as he was inspired by God's story of eternal redemption. Hudson Taylor was born in Barnsley, Yorkshire on May 21, 1832. His dad was a pharmacist and a lay preacher who had become deeply moved by the needs of China in 1830. Even though he was unable to go to this closed-to-the-gospel country, he prayed that if God gave him a son, he would go to China. Looking back on how he was raised, Hudson remembered that his parents had instilled in him the philosophy that if there truly was a being as God, then to trust Him, to obey Him, and to be fully given up to His service must of necessity be the best and wisest course for both himself and others. You know, I'm struck again and again with how influential the parents of godly witnesses are. Parents, what are you teaching your children? You have such an impact. Pour the gospel and the love for God into your children. You just don't know what God has planned for them. May they look back on their years with you as inspiring and God-focused. Now, the fact that Hudson's parents loved God automatically meant that he was saved early in life and lived godly right away, right? I'll let his testimony answer that question. Hudson confessed that even though his parents had a godly philosophy, his heart was unchanged. He said that he tried often to make himself a Christian, but that it just didn't seem to work. He began to believe that for whatever reason, he just couldn't be saved. He then concluded that he might as well, in his words, take his fill of the world as there was no hope for him beyond the grave. While he was in this state of mind, he began listening to people who were skeptical and had heretical opinions. He accepted their views because it gave him relief of mind to think that maybe his parents' beliefs of what would happen to unbelievers in the end was wrong after all. One thing that greatly fueled his and his friend's skepticism was the lives of hypocritical Christians. He said that if he ever pretended to believe the Bible, he would put it to the test by trying it out fairly. He said that if it didn't prove to be true, he would throw it all overboard. So what eventually happened to make him go from doubter to believer? Well, when he was 15, his mom took a trip. This resulted in him having some extra time on his hands. To pass the time, he went to his father's library to find something to read. None of the books interested him, but he found some pamphlets that did. 
One of them was a gospel track. He knew that it would start with a story and end with a sermon and a moral. He determined to read the story and then ignore the sermon and the moral. He began reading it completely unconcerned about it impacting him. He determined that he would quit reading it as soon as it became prosy. While he read, he began thinking about how some people referred to conversion as becoming serious. This bugged him because he thought about believers he knew and how depressed they seemed. He thought, would it not be well if the people of God had always tell-tell faces, showing blessings and gladness of salvation so clearly that unconverted people might have to call conversion becoming joyful instead of becoming serious? Well, unbeknownst to him, while his mom was out of town, she had become incredibly burdened to pray for him at that very moment. She stood up from the dinner table and went to her room determined not to get up from her knees until her prayers had been answered. She prayed for hours and hours until she could pray no more. Finally, the Spirit gave her the liberty of mind knowing that indeed Hudson had been saved. Now back to Hudson reading the tract. These words stuck out to him, the finished work of Christ. He wondered, what was finished? He answered himself. A full and perfect atonement and satisfaction for sin. The debt was paid by the substitute. Christ died for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Then he thought, If the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is there left for me to do? The joyful conviction flashed into his soul by the Holy Spirit that there was nothing in the world to be done but to fall down on one's knees, to accept the Savior and his salvation, and to praise him forevermore. Thus, Hudson said, while my dear mother was praising God on her knees in her chamber, I was praising him in the old warehouse to which I had gone alone to read this little book at my leisure. A few days later, he told his sister about all of this. He made her promise not to tell anyone. Two weeks later, his mom came home. He was the first to meet her at the door so that he could tell her his news. She told him she already knew. He asked her if it was because his sister had not kept his secret. She assured him that it wasn't his sister. Then she told him the story of how the Holy Spirit had so strongly burdened her to pray for him when she did. He was amazed and come to find out it had not just been his mom praying for him. A little while after he got saved, he accidentally picked up his sister's journal thinking it was his. Reading the first few lines of one of her entries, he realized that she had committed to giving herself daily to prayer until God should answer in Hudson's conversion. Exactly one month later, the Lord did just that. Hudson's conversion yielded joy, but it was followed by a period of painful deadness of soul with much conflict. But this came to an end as a result of his awareness of personal weakness and desperate need for the Lord to be his only keeper as well as his Savior. He pointed out that it is sweet to the soul who is wearied and disappointed in its struggles with sin to find a calm repose of trust in the Shepherd of Israel. Shortly after he got saved, when he was 15, he found himself so overwhelmed with love and thankfulness to the Lord that he committed to God that he would do anything the Lord wanted him to, no matter how trivial or difficult. A few months later, he became very burdened for the closed-at-that-time country, China. He knew that it could cost his life. He also knew that there was not much literature about China missions and that there were only a few missionary societies that had workers in China.
There was, however, a local congregational minister who possessed a book simply titled China. The minister was willing to lend it to him, but he told him that this idea of simply going to China without money and by simply relying on God was only a good idea when Christ himself was on earth. But after reading the book, Hudson said that he was more convinced than ever that completely relying on the Lord for direction and assurance was just as good for our times as it was for the time of Christ. The book made it clear that medical missions was a good means for being able to enter the country. So that's what Hudson pursued. First, he established some preparation goals in relation to his parents' response, which was that he should use all the means in his power to develop the resources of body, mind, heart, and soul, and to wait prayerfully upon God. Goal number one was to exercise more to build his body. He also began limiting his creature comforts in order to prepare himself for the difficulties on the mission field. What did this look like in a practical sense? Well, he began eating a lot of oatmeal and rice. This greatly cut his food costs. He did let himself eat different things every once in a while, though. This tight budget left two-thirds of his budget to spend on other things, mostly ministering to others. He said one time that the less I spent on myself and the more I give away, the fuller of happiness and blessing my soul becomes. Unspeakable joy all the day long, and every day is my happy experience. God, even my God, is a living, bright reality, and all I have to do is joyful service. Goal number two was to examine every one of his books and items of clothes to evaluate whether or not he would have only what he needed when the Lord returned. He gave his extra books and clothes to the poor. Again, he mentioned that this loss of things gave him a great gain of joy and blessing. Even still, he struggled because he wondered if he had enough faith to serve in China. Now to his medical training. He went to the whole school of medicine for medical and surgical training. He also became assistant to a surgical doctor who had connections to Hull. Among a myriad of training experiences, Hudson was given the chance to observe and practice the minor operations of surgery. God was sovereign in his medical training. He was also sovereign in his faith training. Hudson prayed often for God to strengthen his faith, and the Lord gave him countless opportunities to practice. Unlike so many of us, Hudson didn't complain when those stretching times came. He just sweetly and submissively asked the Lord for the grace to endure and trust. The time finally came for him to leave for China. Under the kind and financial support of the Committee of the Chinese Evangelistic Society, a send-off service was held for him on the stern of the cabin of the Dumfries. The date was September 19, 1853. His mother met him in Liverpool, where he was to set sail and be at sea for six months. Listen to his description of that time with her. Never shall I forget that day, nor how she went with me into the little cabin that was to be my home for nearly six long months. With a mother's loving hand, she smoothed the little bed. She sat by my side and joined me in the last hymn that we should sing together before the long parting. We knelt down and she prayed, the last mother's prayer I was to hear before starting for China. 
Then notice was given that we must separate, and we had to say goodbye, never expecting to meet on earth again. For my sake she restrained her feelings as much as possible. We parted, and she went on shore, giving me her blessing. I stood alone on deck, and she followed the ship as we moved toward the dock gates. As we passed through the gates and the separation really began, I shall never forget the cry of anguish wrung from that mother's heart. It went through me like a knife. I never knew so fully until then what God so loved the world meant. And I am quite sure that my precious mother learned more of the love of God to the perishing in that hour than in all her life before. Oh, how it must grieve the heart of God when he sees his children indifferent to the needs of that wide world for which his beloved, his only begotten son, died. While burdened about this, Hudson was still able to praise the Lord for the ones who had left all to follow him in obedience to the Great Commission. The Dumfries set sail, and despite facing an overwhelming gale at the equinox that trapped him in the Irish Channel for twelve days and being in danger of hitting sunken reefs, Hudson arrived in Shanghai on March 1, 1854. The many prayers of his loved ones were answered. This was a huge comfort to him. Difficulties found Hudson immediately. Factions of the First Opium War were still at play, continuing to put the locals in danger. Housing for foreigners was very expensive and nearly impossible to find outside of the European settlements. Also, even though Hudson had three letters of introduction and the opportunity for help and counsel from someone he respected, he found out this person had died of fever while Hudson was on his voyage. He then pursued the second person his letters of introduction were meant for, who happened to be a missionary, but he had already left for America. With only one letter of introduction left, Hudson's hopes were slim that it would be of use, but the opposite tr proved true. His third letter of introduction led him to Reverend Dr. Medhurst of the London Missionary Society. He directed Hudson to Dr. Lockhart, who let Hudson live with him for six months. He also paid for Hudson's first Chinese teacher, while other men also helped him with the language. Cannonballs, horror, atrocities, misery, incredibly limited finances, and loneliness haunted Hudson during his first year there. But listen to how he battled the devil's temptation to doubt God's good plan. The great enemy is always ready with this oft-repeated suggestion, All these things are against me. But oh, how false the word! The cold, and even the hunger, the watchings and sleeplessness of nights of danger, and the feelings at times of utter isolation and helplessness, were well and wisely chosen, and tenderly and lovingly meted out. What circumstances could have rendered the word of God sweeter, and the presence of God so real, the help of God so precious? They were times indeed of emptying and humbling, but were experiences that made not ashamed, and that strengthened purpose to go forward as God might direct, with His proved promise, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. One can see even now that as for God, His way is perfect. So what did Hudson's ministry look like, and who helped him along the way? Well, a lot of the time was spent passing out gospel literature and preaching. 
On one occasion, he and a minister named Reverend Burden preached and passed out books to pilgrims who had come to the Wolf Mountains to attend an idolatrous festival. The native teachers tried to convince them that they shouldn't attempt all of this, but they were both fully persuaded that it was God's will and that they would have his help. They told the teachers to stay in the boat and that if something happened to Hudson and Reverend Burden, they should learn about what happened to them and rush back to Shanghai with the news. The natives' words came true. Hudson and Burden were followed and brutally treated. But God in his mercy put them into the hands of a kind authority who treated them with respect and listened to them share the gospel. In the midst of all his comings and goings to evangelize the locals, Hudson experienced many different housing situations. Each place he lived was all very temporary due to the fact that he was considered to be a foreigner in some areas. Sometimes he was forced to move because of his religious affiliations. This had to take a toll on him mentally and emotionally, because in the list of the five most stressful things to endure in life, moving is considered to be number three. He was, however, able to see how God used these moves to direct him to different locals and fellow ministers. After returning to Shanghai, his paths crossed with Reverend William Burns, who was from the English Presbyterian Mission. They traveled together by boat, evangelizing different regions. Burns' ministry was greatly helped by meeting Hudson, because after observing the positive reactions Hudson received because of wearing native clothing, Reverend Burns began wearing the same. Hudson thoroughly enjoyed the months traveling with Burns because he found Burns so inspiring. Why? Because Burns loved the Word. He strived to be holy and reverential, and he constantly communed with God. He shared with Hudson stories of participating in revival work and of being persecuted in Canada, Dublin, and in southern China. Burns made sure to always remind Hudson that God has a purpose in trials. In fact, his thoughts on evangelism eventually led Hudson to start the China Inland Mission. Honestly, the more and more I read about godly people, the more I realize that they all have these things in common. Their backgrounds and upbringings may be different, but their hearts for God and outward manifestations of that heart are all the same. Listener, the same can be said for you when you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. I pray that you will inspire the people around you to love God wholeheartedly. Hudson and Burns experienced their share of heartaches, too. One time, while they were preaching and passing out literature, Hudson's boat was violently destroyed. Did this deter them? Nope. They continued on, often finding burned-out areas to preach their next sermon. Can you imagine ministering to people in war zones? I can't. Their spirit-driven love for the Chinese people must have been off the charts. Through another harrowing situation with her boats, Hudson and Burns realized that at the time, they needed to get out of Shanghai. They met up with a Christian man named Captain Bowers in Swato, currently known as Shantou, which is south of Shanghai. This port town was busy, important, and very populated. Bowers told them of the spiritually dark practices of opium selling and slave trafficking that were prevalent in the area. Hudson realized that the Holy Spirit was directing him to stay there. He was thankful to find out that Burns was being directed there, too. They found that ministering in this area was more difficult and dangerous than their former work in the North. The danger was constant. 
The people there hated the Cantonese and used horrible racial slurs to describe them. Hudson said that observing this kind of mistreatment drew him closer to the one who had been despised and rejected of men. After time, a local man became incredibly sick. The local doctors weren't able to help him. Someone whom Hudson had helped medically told the man about him. His medicines were effective. As Hudson said, God made them effective. Because of this encounter, the man recommended they rent a house to be used as a hospital and a dispensary. Having rented a room there before, this area was familiar to them. In need of his supplies, which included his stock of medicine and his surgical equipment, Hudson went back to Shanghai. Both he and Burns were excited about the opportunities that were opening up and at the possibilities that the future held. It didn't seem to be God's will that they get to stick around to reap the harvest of their labor, though, because Mr. Burns was taken by authorities from the interior in prison in Canton, which is modern-day Guangzhou. This was the beginning of their two paths beginning to separate. Hudson went on to Shanghai to retrieve his medical supplies. He was devastated to find that the building that contained them was completely burned down. He confessed that at the time his faith was weak. But again, God used this in his life to direct him to his next place of ministry, which was in Ningbo. He partnered with the Chinese Evangelization Society. Of course, as was the norm in Hudson's life, this transition was incredibly difficult. It involved nearly all of his things being stolen during another time of deep political turmoil. He also met his future wife, Maria, but their relationship early on was wrought with incredible drama because the lady to whom Maria was most accountable was very opposed to Hudson. But a bright spot in Hudson's life was that George Mueller began to support him financially. Not long after this, Hudson had to step away from ministering with the Chinese Evangelization Society because they were operating out of debt. He had very strong convictions about it and came to find out that other people did too. The society was unwilling to change, but both sides remained friendly. To be out on his own ministry-wise really stretched his faith again, but his love for God and the Chinese compelled him to press on knowing that as he had learned during his med school years, if God was in it, he would provide. The Second Opium War was now in full swing. Because of this, it became incredibly dangerous for foreign missionaries. At one point, the locals learned that the missionaries met for worship on Sunday nights. They made a plan to kill everyone there and anyone who would normally be there. One of the men who was aware of the plot had a missionary friend who would have been in danger, so he informed the man of the plot. Because of the warning, the missionaries changed where to meet. They came to view this as protection of the Most High and hiding under the shadow of His wings. Not long after, the missionaries communicated with the magistrate. The deadly plot was stopped. Unfortunately, just a few months later, fifty to six Portuguese were massacred in broad daylight. The rest of Hudson's ministry could be characterized by great sacrifice and great gain. The great gain, however, began with his return trip to England. The stress of the ministry had taken a toll on his health. Part of his stress was the burden he carried from his realization that China needed more missionaries. Mercifully, God used this time in England not only to restore his health, but also to recruit, I believe, around 20 missionaries. 
He formed the China Inland Mission, and despite sickness, death, and out-of-control mobs, he and this group were able to break through to Burma, Mongolia, Central Asia, and deep into Tibetan lands. David Bentley Taylor said that this must be recognized as a feat without parallel in the annals of modern missionary endeavor. Praise the Lord! How did this happen? Prayer and sacrifice. The Chinese Revolution ushered in ten years of civil war. Despite this, the church continued to grow. World War I came and went. The country continued to struggle. It became more necessary to turn the church over to the leadership of the Chinese Christians. The China Inland Mission continued to grow and reached its peak of 1,387 missionaries in 1936. Things went smoothly until the attack on Pearl Harbor. Eventually, the mission was reduced to about 250 missionaries, but the church continued to strengthen, and by 1945, at the end of World War II, the church was thriving. Missionaries poured into China while there was a time of spiritual opportunity. They benefited greatly from the work that Hudson had done. This growth was unhindered until communism returned in 1948. The new leaders were characterized by atheism, materialism, and hostility toward the West. Persecution greatly increased, and the number of missionaries greatly decreased. Bentley Taylor said that it is encouraging to see that all the major setbacks and apparent disasters of the past have proved eventually to be but stepping stones to greater things. Hudson Taylor died on June 3, 1905. Among all of the danger and trials he faced in regards to the ministry, he also lost three children and his beloved wife Maria. God blessed him with a second wife whose name was Jenny. Although she was a very different person from Maria, Hudson loved her, and together the ministry of the China Inland Mission flourished and grew. So what are my takeaways from all of this? First is that there is a world who desperately needs the gospel. It is the responsibility of believers to share it with loving boldness. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Praise the Lord, Hudson Taylor shared the gospel fearlessly to countless Chinese people. As a result, countless Chinese came to saving faith. Amen. My second takeaway is that every life is met with trials. They can break us if we let them, but oh the joy that can be found for the one who endures. I dare say that Hudson would share this verse with you if he were with you now. It's 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Endure your trials by the grace of God. Share the gospel for the glory of God. My final word for you today is not my own. It is the word of Christ. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world.